You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 116 of Sticks in the Six, brought to you by the folks at Indie Alehouse. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with one of my co-hosts, Peter Barracchini, without Alex Hobson once again this week, but uh, we're very excited to bring on a special guest in Adam Proto, who will join us shortly for this episode of the show. Peter, before we get into uh, Leaf Talk post-deadline, post-game here uh, against uh, the Vancouver Canucks, obviously, um, how's it going this week, buddy? Oh man, uh, week is going great. Um, aside from that game, but um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of slow, but at the same time, it kind of picked up. It was very interesting with the deadline moves, everything, and then all of a sudden, we just get hammered with this massive snowstorm. So, um, I hope everything is great at your end because uh, we got we we got pretty hammered in uh my my neck of the woods and. I was going to say this, the whole snow plowing situation was just awful in Toronto. I will say that, uh, not fun. I'm just going to leave it at that, but, uh, we, hopefully this is the last major snowfall because I've, I've just had it. I, I I'm done with storms. I'm done with the snow. I've had a bad experience. You know, of that, uh, uh with my story at Christmas stuck, stuck on a train for however many hours. For a good 17 hours. Yeah. So I hope that this is the end of winter. Hopefully. And that way, the good spring, summer weather could come because I'm actually looking forward to that. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I know we got the same kind of weather up here uh, or down here, I guess, in London. Um, did a little bit of the shoveling today, but uh, got a little help from my two and a half year old. So that was always Aww. it's always nice to get him out and, and get him uh, get him going. But um, yeah, same same idea. It was uh, was really into what was going on with our Leafs uh, prior to the deadline. Obviously, a little bit of a slow day for them come deadline. I think the whole day was was fairly slow a couple of oh, couple yeah. of minor moves but uh um yeah it, ha- it hasn't seemed like the same leafs as of yet uh post deadline and uh you know we kind of talked about that with the boston bruins in terms of um you know seeing where they're going to be at at post deadline with chemistry and and how it might affect the team i think we're seeing a little bit of that with the maple leafs now um but this is going to be a straight episode of just leaf talk and uh, with that, I think we should bring in our guest now, Adam Proto. Uh, interview brought to you by the folks at Indie Alehouse. Welcome to the show, Adam Proto. Hey, fellas. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Uh, once again, uh, we are joined by Adam Proto from the Hockey News. Um, Adam, we're just going to get started off before we get into our interview. How are you doing? And I hope uh, that Maple Leafs loss really doesn't affect our conversation with everything that we're going to be doing. So, no, no, I, I'm I'm happy to come on. Thanks for having me, and I'm kind of between both of you guys. I'm in Guelph uh, right now, so it's uh, we got a pretty bad dumping of snow too, and I'm I'm sick of it. But you know, <laughs> my birthday's in mid-April, and I, I every year I I always get used to the you know we get the better teasing of the weather, mm-hmm. we get another kick in the junk. You know, mid-April <laughs> time, and and uh, you reminded that you live in Canada, so um, just happened to be on, and and it's just too bad it was a, a crummy game to uh, to watch from a Leaf fan perspective. Quickly on the weather, it's kind of crazy though. Like we were we were teased all all winter that it was going to be one of those 
you know, get maybe one dumping and that was it. And then, like you said, it's uh, it's that little flash before we get into the springtime where it's, you know, just a quick kick in the nuts and that's it. <laughs> that's right. It just hurts that much more. Yeah. <laughs> Again, hoping that the weather is going to be great from here on out. And as we get into our conversation about the Maple Leafs, we're not going to talk about the game because social media is just a place right now. Everyone is thinking worst case scenario. Let's talk about the positives. And obviously the big news was the Maple Leafs trade deadline, how they brought in Ryan O'Reilly. Again, everyone's focusing on worst case scenario with his hand right now. Noel Chari, uh, Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty, Luke Shen. We could go in depth on all the deals, but based on everything that they made, Adam, uh, what are your thoughts? And should everything play out if everyone is healthy? Is this enough for the Maple Leafs? for the playoffs and to possibly get past the first round? Well, guys, I, I think it, it could be. I mean, you can see the gambles that Kyle Dubas has made. Clearly, it's he's gambled on goaltending uh, going into the season. He, he had his kind of insurance policy going. And, you know, I had talked to a couple of people throughout the league that really thought that they might make another move for a guy like James Reimer or somebody that, you know, at least had some some – footing in this market that had played more games than a guy like maybe Joseph Wall, you know, seven games of NHL experience. If they have to turn to him, they could be in big trouble. And, and that's not a comment against Wall necessarily more about the other two guys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think uh, Kyle did a pretty good job, all things considered. He's given his coach what he likes the most and that's options, right? I mean, that's Sheldon Keith talks about that pretty consistently about having that consistency and, and having that competition for jobs, um, and now he's really, really got that, especially on the defensive end. I, I think it's going to be very fascinating to watch them uh, experiment with pairings. And, you know, again, it was a, it was a rough night for, you know, a guy like Morgan Riley tonight. Um, hard hard to defend some of the decisions he was making out there. But um, I, and I don't expect him to be, you know, healthy scratched, you know, like like somebody else on, on the team might be. But um, they do have options. And, and, you know, I guess it's just going to be about health and you know, Ryan O'Reilly's injury didn't look too promising when, you know, when you don't hear anything after a guy leaves the game, that's, that's a, a worrisome sign, I think. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to come down to the goaltending for me. I think, it, you know, I, I did tune into the Winnipeg uh, Edmonton game. I don't know if you guys caught any of that, but there's oh, yeah. poor, poor old Jack Campbell, you know, super nice dude. Um, not always the, the most consistent goalie and, and, you know, really deflating. I think when you've got a, a talent like Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl, who was, you know, unbelievable tonight, that backhanded goal uh, was just a thing of beauty. But, you know, when you have a goalie, it's just, it's so deflating. Um, you can see it in, in the body language of guys. You can see it in, in the faces. They try not to, to let it show because they know they're all under, you know, great scrutiny, everything they do, but you, you can't help but be let down when your goalie isn't there for you. And, you can't really say that about Matt Murray tonight. He was he was pretty good. I mean, all things considered, he got hung up to dry a lot of times by bad decisions and uh, and that offense. I mean, they 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 just seem to play down to the level of competition sometimes. So, you know, that in a way, it's almost a backhanded compliment to say that because you know if they get to the playoffs against the team like Tampa Bay, maybe they will play up to their level. Um, but you know, when you look at the way the season may go and home ice advantage, these are the type of games that you lose that kill you. Mm-hmm. You know, five, you know, games against Arizona, games against Montreal. Um, they've just looked flat and kind of uninspired as if they think, you know, the game's going to come to them 
very easily and and it and it just doesn't the way the NHL's played nowadays so it's you know the the pain is there and i think uh, Sheldon Keefe's job you know right now is is to to find a way to uh you know to get that consistency back even at this you know after that first lull at the start of the season they were on a pretty good tear um you know that built them up in, into the into the position they're in in the standings um, and I still think they can get back to that, but it's it's going to take a lot harder work than they showed against Vancouver. I will say anytime I see Jack Campbell in net for the Oilers, I take the over. So I, I was all over the over tonight. But um, getting back to the lease, I'm glad you kind of mentioned it with the with the healthy scratch. And and these guys know on the show that, you know, I, I I'm not a huge Morgan Riley advocate when it comes to having him in the number one spot. Um, for me, he's more of a two three guy. Um, one guy that's impressed me since coming up last year and playing with Giordano was, was Timothy Lilligren. And mm-hmm. now he's been scratched for two straight games. Um, obviously we knew that was going to kind of happen with, with the moves that were made that the, the, uh, defenseman that came in. Um, but like, what are you seeing from, from, from these decisions? Like, is this, is Lilligren a guy that maybe we should see in the lineup more often? He seems to be for me anyways, a guy that kind of fits into a bit of a better role all around mm-hmm. game. Uh, what, in terms of uh, his play versus somebody like Riley? Yeah, well, I think, you know, Lilligren to me, he has shown improvement this year. I think there's no question, you know, his game all around is, is good. And uh, and he's one of those guys where you don't necessarily need him to, to, to lead the offense, right? I mean, they've got guys that should be contributing offense up front and not relying on a guy like Lilligren. But I, I, like, I like to see him when you really don't notice him, when he just plays that kind of patient, smart, uh, sound decisions, good – uh, first ice passes up, you know, up the ice. Um, he can do that when he's at his best. And, and I think, um, you know, he's the ease, probably the easier guy to scratch because of his, his youth and because of his lack of experience. Um, but I'm not sure that that's necessarily the best decision for down the road guys, because as we know, mm-hmm. you know, three or four of these defensemen that are on the team now are not going to be back next year. It's Justin Hole's not going to be resigning. Uh, Gustafson's probably not going to be resigning. You know, Jordy Ben's not probably not going to be around as a depth guy. So, you know, you're going to be turning to him to Lilligren, I think, more so next season. And, and you know, knowing that he's a big part of your plan down the road, um, you would think that they, they they might show a little more belief in him. But, um, you know, clearly with the Sandine trade, too, I mean, there, you know, three assists in his first game with Washington, that's happy for him and, and another really nice guy. But, you know, you can see where the, the Leafs' patience kind of reaches its end with some of these young guys and, and how, you know, GMs and coaches tend to lean on guys, even like, again, I'm, I'm not the biggest Justin Hall fan in the world, mm-hmm. um, but he's, he's played a, a pretty decent game this year. So I, I think, you know, when it comes down to it, who, who do you sit out? Do you give Mark Giordano a little bit of a rest? Um, you know, he's, he's another guy. I like his game a lot, but, you know, do you really want to wear him down and, and not have him at his best at the start of the season? I think Lily Green can come in there and, and be a more regular player to your point, uh, Andrew, and, and, you know, to give them that support so that they're not taxing everybody overly. Mm-hmm. And we understand like why Dubas moved on from Lilligren. There was a logjam, especially on the left-hand side. And then, then again, you brought in a left-handed shot in uh, Eric Gustafson. But at the same time, you know, it was hard for him to try and move up in the lineup. It was easier for Lilligren because they do need a right-handed shot. And you do see that progression throughout his game, through his time with the Marlies. You saw that obviously he was a bit more offensive-minded back then, but has developed that two-way game. 
Um, do you think that, you know, obviously he's, a, he could be a bit more of an important factor coming into the playoffs rather than Justin Hall, as we saw, you know, he's had, had his moments, but then again, his decision-making isn't quite there compared to Lilligren's where it's a little bit more refined. And even today, um, the first goal, uh, from Andre Kuzmenko's goal, he attempts to block a shot, goes off him and then obviously blocks Matt Murray's vision as well. So where do you see the line about how the Maple Leafs should go about, um, you know, pl- giving their younger players more minutes and letting their older players or like veterans kind of take a back seat, even though they're not playing up to standard. Well, that's a good question, Peter. I think, you know, you, you there has to be some type of balance, obviously, right? You can't, you know, if, if you start sitting out veterans for long stretches, there's going to be, you know, a, a media firestorm very, very quickly around the team. And, and you know, that will be a, a storyline in a big way. But at the same time, you know, to your point again, Lilligren to me is somebody who, um, you know, his game has, has grown in- incrementally. You know, he, there might have been bigger expectations on him in previous years. And, and I think people have just seen that's kind of slow but steady improvement in, in his game that um, that makes us feel more comfortable with him. I think his fans or his media that, you know, that he can go out there and do a good job. Um, Justin Hole, I think, and again, I know he's a, a favorite of, of Sheldon Keefe, obviously, to, to keep him around, I think was was a bit of a shocker to me. Uh, only because I thought they could have improved their their forward depth with with trading him and maybe getting some some cap money back that they could have used for another body. Um, but you know, if he's comfortable, if Keith is more comfortable with Hull, then so be it. But again, have have that balance there so that you know it, it's not the same guy sitting out every night. I don't think Timothy Lilligren's done anything you know wrong to be out of the lineup. I mean, that's the bottom line. He he hasn't suffered. I think. Again, you could probably make a bigger case that Morgan Riley has has struggled since he's returned. And I think to Andrew's point, he's clearly not a number one defenseman. He's not ever going to win the Norris Trophy. Um, he's not ever going to be a first team All Star. Um, he's to me, he's he's again one of those guys that you just you just want to see a patient, uh, solid game from him with a, with a high panic threshold. And and to me, that's excuse me, what you've seen from Lilligren this year's his panic threshold is, is pretty good now that, you know, that that's competitive and, and, you know, you don't feel like the guy is just going to be overwhelmed mentally or, or, you know, terrorized. You can, you can kind of see that sometimes with young defensemen. Um, and I don't think you see that anymore with Lilligren. You might've seen that in his initial years, but that's normal. I think it's, you know, you very rarely see guys come into the league prepared, uh, you know, for the speed and the skill and the precision um, you know, and every time you talk to an AHL player and you ask them what the difference is, they, they tell you it's it's precision. It's it's mm-hmm. you know making that perfect pass. It's always finding, you know, the right look and, and the right feed. Um, and I think Lilligren's been much better than that. So I, I do think you have to give him credit. I do think he's earned some, you know, some more landing room to kind of try and stick the landing the rest of the season. And it's it's again, it's it's incumbent on Sheldon Keefe now to just find that balance. Yeah, you, you. I mean, you mentioned Sheldon Keefe. It's down to him. Dubas has gone out and done his job. He's gotten exactly what Leafs Nation was asking for in that depth forward and and uh, some some toughness on D. Obviously, the goaltending is a question mark as you as you mentioned earlier. But um, you're seeing a little bit more of that flip flopping up front. Marner back up on the top line. You're seeing Nylander drop down again. Uh, things seem to have gone well when Nylander was playing next to, to Matthews. Is this something that you know is just trying to see if they can get all the lines clicking or, or are we, uh, are we going to be seeing Nylander make that jump to the top line again? You think? 
I do think that's probably going to be the case, Andrew. I think, you know, the experimenting is probably going to continue uh, with the forwards. I mean, you know, dropping Ryan O'Reilly back to the third line center, you know, they want to have a look at that. They want to have, you know, Michael Bunting moving around a little bit and see if he can have some of his jam, you know, kind of spread out around the lineup. Um, and, and again, I do think there's more, you know, I wrote about the Leafs for full press and I said to me that the, the experimenting, the majority of the experimenting is going to happen on defense, but, you know, forwards, they're going to, they're going to have different looks too. And, and whether that's, you know, uh, spurred on when Matt Nyes, you know, signs a contract and they try and, you know, squeeze him in for a few games. Uh, I think that's, that's certainly up for debate whether they should do that. I don't know, but I think the, the feeling in the organization obviously is this is a guy that they want to give a, a shot to. So, um, you know, your point about uh, a Nylander, I think, you know, he, he and Marner sometimes in games like this, that if they're not the best players on the ice, it's hard uh, for the rest of the team to make up for it. And I know John Tavares got, got blown up real good by that, uh, that borderline Tyler Myers hit, but uh, um, you know, they do need their player, their best players to be their best players. And they're not different than any team in that regard. So when you have a night where some guys are a little less visible than they are at their best, it, 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 it puts a lot more pressure on the guys around them to, to make up for the scoring and, and against the Canucks that scoring clearly wasn't there. Yeah, just to follow up, what, what were your thoughts on on one the hit, but McCabe coming in afterwards and and just you know, I mean, obviously new to the team, standing up for his captain right off the hop there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it was out and out dirty. I don't think Tyler Myers is a dirty player, um, but I think you know, anytime this is just the state of the modern day NHL, right, where any type of hit like that will draw some type of reaction, and if you don't have somebody jumping in there, um, you know. It, it, Earlier in the season, it probably would have been Wayne Simmons, you know, doing something like that. But, you know, teams feel like they have to answer for it and and stick up for their guys. And and I guess that's a good thing. I just don't know that, again, for me, anytime you get yourself into a fight, you you, you endanger your, your hands, right? I mean, that's the, that's the the bare minimum of what you're putting in, in jeopardy is, is, you know, the rest of your season if you, if you screw up and, and get hurt. Um, so I, I don't always agree that, that that has to be the response, but I can see why Jake McCabe would do it. I mean, he wants to make a good impression. Um, he's out with a new group of guys. He wants to show them that he's playing for them now and he's with them now. So, you know, I understand psychologically what, what goes into it. I just think, you know, showing showing a little bit more discipline and just making them pay, um, you know, by scoring on them is a lot more effective than, than necessarily throwing down. Yeah, I just want to touch up on McCabe and even Luke Shen for that matter because they set the tone early in this game. And even in the game against Calgary, McCabe was very noticeable in terms of his physicality stepping up, but making both players making a hit to not necessarily for the sake of making a hit and getting caught out of position, but they were very timely and precise hits that was at the right moment at the right time. Um, What is this kind of newfound mentality and even McCabe stepping up as a both you and Andrew were talking about before stepping up for Tavares after that hit. What does this do for creating a new type of mentality that this team is not going to be pushed around that they can keep up, you know, strength wise with the Tampa Bays, with the Boston Bruins, should that moment come if they, depending on what happens in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's something that's definitely in their minds, right? They, they know as well as anybody what the public perception is of them and what, what, what they've earned you know, in, in people's mind is that skepticism, you know, that, that they're going to be there for each other. So, you know, I think when you see Tampa Bay acquired, uh, Gino, I always forget how to pronounce his name, Geno. Uh, yeah. 
Janelle. Yeah, Ken, mean, Janelle, yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are the type of guys that are, are going to make those those physical pushes and, and just to test you out, I think, and see what, what you do in response. So, um, you know, that's why I think they went out and, and got a guy like Lafferty. He's pretty unflappable. I don't, I don't think he does anything just off the top of his head. He's not a hothead, um, but he is a physical player. And, and same with Ryan O'Reilly, obviously he's somebody that knows how to, you know, to, to turn it up a little bit and, and play under pressure and play a physical game. And, and um, you know, that, that really is the difference, I think, between this year's Leafs and, and last year's, <clears throat> even with Yarncroft. I mean, the guys that they brought in, they all kind of brought them in with this mentality of uh, we got to be tougher, we got to be more resilient, we got to be uh, ready to kind of answer the bell physically. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean fighting every game, but it does mean, you know, having that edge and, you know, maybe not being the most liked guys on the ice every night. You know, sometimes that's hard for guys, I think, to get past especially young guys when they're trying to just fit into the league, they don't want to get a reputation as being a, you know, a goof or a hothead or anything like that. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the balance. I think is just to try and find the difference between, you know, being, yeah, not receptive, but, but being more willing to, to, you know, take that physical edge right back to a team when they get in your face. And um, I think, unfortunately, again, the game in Vancouver is probably just a bad example because they, they did, you know, they, they just weren't as disciplined as they should have been. The, the penalties that they took, I think some of them were a little bit lazy and easy tonight. And, you know, I think if you get into that in a, a game against or in a series against the Tampa Bay Lightning, you're going to get punished. You're going to get, you know, you're going to regret making stupid moves. And, you know, I think of, of even, you know, the, the famous Alex Kerfoot, you know, blind drop pass. Uh, from last year's playoffs, I'm sure you guys remember it. Like those are the type of things that are just inexcusable. So, you know, for for you to have a disciplined team that doesn't make one or two of those decisions, that's the difference in playoff hockey, right? It's one or two decisions per game that teams are going to make you pay for. And I think that's what Keith and, and Dubas are most worried about at this stage. Trade deadline is always a funny subject. And we talked about Boston a couple weeks, I think the last couple weeks actually in, in going into the deadline and obviously being where they're at in the standings, not wanting to go out and make major, major roster overall because the chemistry factor, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the Leafs being where they were, um, you know, you had to add some pieces, you need to fill some holes, but do you, do you find that like the Edmonton game and, and even this game tonight against uh, Vancouver are, are examples of, you know, a team that's trying to build that chemistry back after, you know, adding some major pieces uh, and really, really shaking up the lineup quite a bit. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, there has to be a recalibration, right? I mean, that's the bottom line, I think, with these guys, even the, you know, the Chicago game, people kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, oh, well, this is just part of the process. And, and maybe it is, but now you have 19 games left, right? I mean, it, it's going to be April before you know it. Um, you know, the, the playoff matchups pretty clear, I think, unless something drastic changes. So, you know, who you're going to be going up against and, um, and that should give you this kind of clear window to, uh, to figure it out. So, you know, I think the schedule isn't terribly onerous on the Leafs necessarily in the, in the next month, month and a half, but they have to take care of business, right? You don't want to have squandered home ice advantage. I think that would be a, a terrible look for them mentally and and spiritually and uh and in terms of expectations you know you you'd be going into the playoffs uh with people's skepticism you know at a at probably at a peak for the year and and i think you, you you don't want to do that clearly you want to you know to see samsonov play well you want to see murray play well and and to me 
you know, the, the overall look of the team, the lack of consistency where, you, you know, they, they don't string together many five-game win streaks of late. It's usually a couple good games here and then a disastrous game there. Uh, one win, one loss. You know, there's there's just not that that collective confidence, I think, that we saw, again, after that first West Coast road trip early in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they looked like they had figured it out and they believed in each other and they were – Playing smart positionally and and patient and even the Calgary game. I mean that was a that was a pretty decent game. I think you know from their perspective. But to follow it up with a stinker like this uh, has to be worrisome for sure. And you know you can certainly see why you know fans would be a little bit more pessimistic after a game like tonight. Yeah, you just mentioned this game too, and even the uh, the first West Coast road trip where they were out in California obviously it is it is a major question for the last few seasons why is it that the maple leafs play down to their competition um mm-hmm. you know easy points are like you said like the points that, that are that are lost are just you know something that like a bit of a buffer between them and tampa bay that could easily extend their lead or even tie them up with boston right now but what from your from what you see from watching these games how do you describe their play or like why they don't play as well to lower seeded teams compared to they do when they do play Boston, Tampa, New York, and all the teams that are very competitive. Well, Peter, I think, you know, if you look at the teams that do handle business, it's Boston and Tampa Bay, right? I think Mm -hmm. I saw a stat come through Twitter tonight that said that I think against sub 500 teams, the Bruins and, and uh, uh, Tampa Bay are like 10, one and O or 10, one and two, yeah. Uh, against those teams and that's you know it almost reminds me of, of I don't I don't like drawing you know comparisons to sports necessarily but I think back to like when I was a younger guy and the Blue Jays kind of made that jump you know in the World Series years where it became business-like you know it wasn't necessarily about all oh, being giddy and you know we're just happy to be here and look how how fancy we are and how talented we are um, those Blue Jays you know they brought in Jack Morris and Ricky Henderson and you know, all these guys to, to put them over the top and they never treated anything, you know, even in the playoffs, like it was a big deal unless until it actually was a big deal. Um, and I think that's true of these Leafs. I mean, sometimes I think they, they're they not businesslike enough uh, to kind of get a little caught up in their own hype. You know, some of the plays are so beautiful on the ice. You can see why guys, you know, are, are happy with each other or, or feeling confident, but that that shouldn't take away the need to be, you know, all business and the need to kind of temper your emotions and, and not get too high at the best of times and not get too low at the worst of times. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's what you've seen from this younger team in the past. It's, it's a hallmark of a young team and a team that doesn't have, you know, that experience. And then again, when you see teams like Boston and Tampa Bay, just watch them play. They, they're not messing around. They, you know, they, they might not play the most exciting brand of hockey every night, but, um, you know, they are in it to win it every single game and, and they're not messing around. They don't care what your record is. They're intent on playing their own game. Uh, and I think until you see that a little bit more consistently uh, in the next few weeks, it, it's fair to question, you know, whether that's going to be there once the playoffs begin. The one stat I saw thrown out there, uh, as you mentioned, I think it's pretty clear that the Leafs in Tampa are going to be facing off in the first round once again. Um is Vasilevsky 63 career playoff wins. Um, Ilya Samsonov, uh, one one career playoff win. And then Matt Murray, his last playoff win coming back in 2020. Um, you mentioned goaltending. 
we at the beginning of the season we kind of discussed that you know Murray would be the starter and then it would lead into Samsonov being the starter later in the season. Are we at that point where you know there's there's a pretty clear idea that Samsonov is going to be the guy as the Leafs get into the playoffs? Oh, for sure. I think so, Andrew. I think he's he's probably earned the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, that's not to dump on Matt Murray. Um, you know, again, he came into the game tonight with with a lot of pressure on him to, to deliver. And, and he made his best save of the season uh, on that, you know, two on one play. I think he he, uh, uh, you know, he deserves a little bit of credit. And and I guess the question for me is just. You know, you can't fault a guy for his body giving out on him, right? It's just that's what happens to players sometimes, different stages of their careers. I think of a guy like Andrew Hammond, who you know just you know was on that goaltending walking wire above a you know a, like a like a circus performer, and you just they can't re- replicate it for whatever reason, whether half of it's mental, half of it's physical. Um, you know, it really affects what you can do. Uh, night to night. So I, I still worry about that from Murray's perspective until he's really healthy for a long stretch. And now there isn't really a long stretch to show it in anymore. Um, you know, they, they are going to be leaning, I think, on Samsonov for sure. Um, again, to me, when they when Kyle Dubas comes out and says, well, we're confident in our guys, we're confident in Joe Wall, um, that's great. But, you know, what happens when, you know, that first game one comes against Tampa Bay and, and they get the doors blown off of them, right? I mean, do you go back to Ilya Samsonov again or do you do you just dump it and, and go to Murray? I mean, that's going to be, you know, that a clear talking point. That's going to be a clear media uh, focal point and storyline and narrative, however you want to say it. That, you know, I think that's why, in my mind, when I talked to some people around the league, uh, they thought it would be important to bring in another guy into that mix. I mean, uh, Keith Kincaid gets traded, uh, you know, to Colorado, a, a guy that most people wouldn't be able to pick out of a lineup. Um, but it's almost like, pitching right you can't have enough uh, good good goaltending in your in your in your lineup it's good to have that alternative and i just wonder whether you know if if it gets to the point where joseph wall is is the guy something's probably gone terribly wrong you know for the other two guys and and you know i, I think if if you know kyle dubas has done all this work to rejig the lineup and it still comes down to the decisions and the choices that were made uh, in the summer about goaltending, you know, that, that might be a problem that eventually sinks Kyle Dubas's shot at, at, you know, staying in this job for the long term. One final question or two final questions for me, Adam, uh, kind of like a two-parter could be a short answer. could be a long answer, depending on how you, how you feel about this. Um, <laughs> based on the moves that they made, O'Reilly, Achari, uh, McCabe, Lafferty, Shen, where do you see the Maple Leafs finishing in the playoffs, do they win a round, two rounds, three, going to the cup final? And is winning one round enough to keep um, Sheldon, for Sheldon Keith to keep his job, Kyle Dubas to keep his job? Or if they lose, what's the worst case scenario in your opinion? Well, that's a great question, Peter. I think, you know, for me, I, I do expect them to win at least one round. Uh, I think anything less than that would be disastrous um you know especially if it's if it's a quick exit or an ugly exit and there are games that you know that are blowouts it's going to depend on on exactly how they lose but you know to 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 put this team together again and and to to you know to double down on the core four forwards uh you know they they should be at least winning one round i think it's going to be tough for them to be honest you know to get past tampa and boston you know in in two series in a row uh, and I wouldn't expect, you know, especially if Boston gets some of their play, injured players back in time, 
uh, you know, Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno. Um, if they can get those guys back, they're they're going to be very, very tough to beat. But I, I do think they've got a good shot against Tampa. I think they had a better shot, have a better shot against Tampa than they did last year. And and, and it's going to come down to goaltending. But, you know, as for as for the, the keeping the jobs, I, I think, you know, Brendan Shanahan probably has, you know, more body armor, uh, you know, in his arsenal to kind of protect Kyle Dubas for maybe one more year after this one, even if it doesn't go well. I don't think that, you know, who, who are you going to pull in? You can, you can name some, some up and coming guys, um, but who, the, the hard choices are still going to be there. I mean, what are you going to do to that core four if it doesn't go right for you this year? Right. I mean, who are you going to trade? Is it going to be Nylander? I mean, some people are going to would have heart palpitations and right, you know, rightfully so right? because he's, his game has been elevated too uh, this year. You can't trade John Tavares. You're never going to trade Matthew. You're never going to trade Marner. Um, so what do you do except run it back again, right? I mean, that's that may sound frustrating, but if you look at, at the way some teams have developed in the past, uh, there's been a lot of heartache, you know, that came before the good times. Colorado is a good example. You know, there wasn't wasn't that long ago that Nathan McKinnon sounded like a guy that, that couldn't take much more losing uh, if they tried, and, you know, and that Ryan O'Reilly was once a part of, of what mm-hmm. they thought was their future, right? So. You know, I, I think it's it, you know to answer your question as fast as I can, Pierre. It's, it's oh, all good. <laughs> it's uh, it feels like to me that it's still going to be a team that you know is a good regular season team next year, no matter what happens. And the frustrating part is it's going to always come back to the playoffs. So if, if they don't get it done, you know, do I think they're capable of a longer run? Yeah, for sure. If any team, if they have health uh, and a hot streak, and their special teams are good and they're disciplined. Um, you know, I think any, uh, you can make the argument for quite a few teams having a deep run and Toronto is one of them. But, um, you know, I, I do think there's that danger there clearly of, of just running into a, you know, a kind of generational buzzsaw, um, you know, that is the Lightning and that is the Bruins. They've, they both of those teams have players that are signed to, you know, to great deals and, and players that, you know, returned on, on very cheap contracts that allowed them to build, uh, you know, great rosters uh, and Toronto probably doesn't have that luxury because nobody's thinking, you know, Austin Matthews is going to give them a, you know, a f- a 5 million per year contract. So he can be more competitive. He's still going to get paid. Marner's still going to get paid. Nylander's going to get a raise. They're, they're going to be desperate for the cap to, uh, to go up to, you know, to really try and improve the group. Um, so I think that's where the pressure comes in for me. It's, it's those core guys um, that are really going to have to do the heavy lifting. And, and that's probably as it should be. Dubas made the necessary moves in order to try and prove that the core four can get the job done and the playoffs to surround him with the depth and pieces needed. Adam, thank you for joining us to talk about the trade deadline, playoff implications, and everything about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, before you head on out, uh, where can the listeners find you on social media, your work? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I have to, uh, the more I look at the screen here, I'm, I'm apologizing for the lighting in advance, guys. I, I'm not a vampire. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> not a vampire. It's bad lighting. <laughs> um, no, I'm at the Hockey News for the most part, writing almost every day, and, and I write a Leafs column for the Full Press website. Um, and my, my uh, Twitter handle is Prototype. That's where I do most of my social media stuff. <clears throat> I have a Facebook. It's really just a personal Facebook, but... Uh, Twitter's where I like to be. I think Twitter's still fun. You know, people can talk about the the misery of Twitter, and I think it's it's all what you make of it, right? It's if yeah. if you if you want to be a dick about things, it's going to show through. If you, if you want to be, you know, open to new ideas and and analytics and and just 
you know, appreciating the game from different perspectives. Uh, I think that's been great. And, and it's great to see, you know, young guys like you guys, um, you know, being out there for people and, and, you know, having a, a platform to, uh, to give your impressions on the game, because, you know, I, I still remember being a young guy at the hockey news and, and going in and I was so intimidated when I first began, right. I was like, I went to the, the boss, Steve Dryden at the time and, and said, you know, Steve, I just, I feel, I feel intimidated by these guys, right. Mike Brophy and Mark Brander was the old writer at the time. And I said, I said, you know, I don't, I don't really feel confident, you know, talking about my perspective. I, I don't feel like I know as much as they do. And, and my, and Steve just said, Adam, they don't know shit about hockey either. So <laughs> <laughs> we're all, we're all in this together. And, and, oh. and I always, I always like to encourage you guys to, to, you know, to, keep moving forward and doing what you're doing because, you know, that kind of, it shows your appreciation for the game. <clears throat> and, and even if you're a born and raised Toronto guy, you know, I still think it's possible to, to cover the game and cover the Leafs, you know, with perspective and with a, you know, just a, a, a cold blooded kind of lowdown of what you see in them, you know, without having to be a fan necessarily. It's good to be a fan. We're all fans of the game in one way or another, but, you know, I think I said this, to many people that, you know, when you get in this business for a long time, you become, you cheer for people, not necessarily for teams. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's all, every team that wins every year, there are great stories, personal stories, you know, redemption, overcoming odds, all that stuff. And there's no shortage of that in Toronto either, but um, I thank you guys for the time and uh, hope to talk to you again. Appreciate it, Adam. Thank you very much for coming on with us. Yeah. My pleasure thank guys. So much. Have a good night. Have a good night. Well, as we mentioned, that interview was brought to you by the fine folks at Indie Ale House. Um, great word from our sponsors right now. Uh, hockey is back, and with it, so are our Maple Leafs. Getting ready for a night out or watching the game at home with the gang? What better way to do it than with a nice cold one from the folks at Indie Ale House in Toronto? With two locations in the city at Italy, Toronto, at Bay & Bloor, the Beerateca location, they have two big screens, amazing authentic Italian food, and loads of beer. Also at OG Brew Pub in the Junction and Kiel at Dundas. With 120 seats, famous bar food, and 12 taps, Indie Ale House is an award-winning brewery featuring their flagship Instigator IPA and dozens of rotating monthly special release beers. Perfect for takeout, dine-in, or bottle shop online orders when planning for game night. You can find Instigator IPA and Marco Polo Pilsner at finer LCBOs across the province as well. Hashtag Live Indie is the motto. Adventurous, fun-focused beers with a selection for everyone, from a healthy dose of in-your-face hoppy beers for the beer geeks to mainstream Pilsners and easy drinking options, Indie Alehouse is the go-to for game day. Visit www.indiealehouse.com to place your order today. Well, Peter, great interview. Uh, so glad we got Adam on here. A lot of insight. And obviously, as he mentioned at the at the end there, he's been around the game for some time. And and uh, you know, same same as us. Like we we uh, obviously obviously fans of of the Maple Leafs, but at the same time, fans of the game and and to cover it from a from an outside perspective, sometimes we do get called homers, especially having a podcast like this, sticks in the six. Um, but there are times where you know, it's nice to to take a step back and cover it from an outside perspective and, and cover the 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 team without you know with a little bit of objectivity as well. So um thanks again to Adam for joining us uh, tonight uh, and, and appreciate the insight on the Leafs trade deadline. As we mentioned, uh there is a little bit more leaf talk to have before we close it out here. 
Um, start off with uh, let's let's start off with your thoughts on the overall grades for the uh, for the Leafs from the trade deadline acquiring McCabe, Lafferty, you name it. Uh, does that include the results of uh, the game against the Canucks? Forget the results <laughs> of the game against the Canucks. Yeah, screw the results. Um, overall, you, you can't help but give this team an A for addressing the potential needs and matching up what the competition is going to be like because Boston is a hard, heavy hitting team. Tampa Bay is a hard, heavy hitting team that plays a highly skilled offensive game just like the Maple Leafs. Toronto got in a smart centerman, got some depth with Achari. They brought in two bruising defenders that can play a shutdown role in McCabe and Shen. Again, there was going to be a lot of talk about whether Kyle Dubas is going to go all in at the deadline. And he made a statement with the O'Reilly trade. Then Boston answered getting Orlov. Tampa Bay with Janot, but then again, uh, there was word that the sh- the deal with Chicago was already in the works before the Janot deal was already done. So he was already planning this in advance, knowing that you know he didn't necessarily think that that something was going to go down, but made it in the sense that he gave his team security in the sense that hey, we're going to be going up against Tampa, we're going up against Boston, we need to meet- match fire with fire that intensity with intensity. And he got that with every single player that he wanted to get. Obviously there's some question marks with, I, I honestly, I'm everyone was sort of kind of com, not necessarily complaining about the Engvall deal, but I could see why they moved on from him because of his inconsistency in the playoffs and his inability to use the size to his advantage. Sandine, we talked about it with Adam, how he was further down that chart, wasn't getting that opportunity. And you got the first round back, whether that's going to be, you know, late 30, uh, 30 to 32, higher up. We don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs. That Boston pick can move higher up. But you got that first round pick back, and that's going to be important considering that you moved all this draft capital and you got some back in return. That is huge a- like ca- asset management from Dubas's part. And yeah, people are going to say, hey, yeah, you know, he made too many moves. It's going to mess up the team chemistry. But at the same time, he made the necessary, necessary moves to make this team competitive and push them over the top. So that is why I'm giving them an A. And especially with the play of McCabe and Shen, I'm really, really excited that the that physicality and edge is back, but they're very smart in how they're going about their hitting and not getting out of position. That to me is very huge. I'm going to give them a B plus. And the, the reason being is that um, just having that conversation with Adam uh, on the, on this episode here, I, I, I think Dubas addressed what he needed to address and, and the chemistry I'm not worried about the, the loss against Edmonton, the loss against Vancouver. It's not something that's bothering me right now because we do have 19 games left. And from that, from that aspect too, I think he made those bigger moves to, to make the changes within the lineup ahead of the deadline. Yeah. It might've only been two or three days ahead of the deadline, but regardless, he did it ahead of the deadline um, and kind of put the rest of the team at ease. Um, Engvall, I mean, he he did have to go, and, and that's not that's not a knock on his game. I just think there there wasn't a place for him to fit in, in terms of what you needed to 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 find that that next level in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned he doesn't use his size the way that you know you want it, want him to. Um, his offense was kind of coming along a little bit more, um, but he just he he just wasn't the guy that they needed. 
Um, in terms of Sandin, yeah, I mean, obviously sad to see him go. He's a, he's a prospect that the Leafs drafted and developed and, and uh, you know, brought up through their system. But they did get that first-round pick back. And whether it's first, whether it's 32nd in this year's draft, that that's a very, very, very important pick to have. Um, and, yeah, I just I, – I think the one thing that I, I would like – would have liked to see is, as Adam mentioned, maybe maybe pick up a – a, a tertiary uh, goaltending option in, in like a James Reimer or, or a Keith Kincaid or kind of like even they an, did with Riddick two years back. Yeah. Even an Anthony Stolarz or something like that. Like give us a, a, an option that, you know, you see these guys go down, you have somebody with a little bit more NHL experience than Joseph wall. And it's not a knock on wall because what he's, you know, he's, he's had a hell of a season so far. He's played well in the, in the opportunities that he's been given with the big club. Um, it's just saying like, you know, it's playoff. We're, we're going to the playoffs. You can't have a guy who's got 10 games of NHL experience coming up and being your, your starting goalie come, come the playoffs. Um, that being said, there are stories where, you know, you've had a guy like that come up and, and how have a hell of a run. I just don't think knowing what we know about the Maple Leafs over the past number of years, that's not a storyline that seems to fit in with the Maple Leafs. So I, I hope Samsonov can get the job done. I hope that if he can't, that Murray's right there. And we saw, we've seen Murray step in late in playoffs before. Um, regardless, I, I give him a B plus because I think that's the one spot that they could have maybe really just put this thing away and, and, and really won tra- uh, the NHL trade deadline this season. But all things considered, uh, they, they got some, some depth on the back end. They, they brought in a guy with, with uh, you know years left on his contract and Jake McCabe and and at a great price, uh, mm-hmm. Luke Shen. I mean the excitement that you saw in Luke Shen's face to be back mm-hmm. in Toronto and to get his number two and and I mean the hits tonight that he laid in in the Vancouver game to get that game going. I mean, um, yeah, it yeah, just the passion. It, yeah, he's he he certainly has the passion. And like I said, I don't know if it was just. I don't know if that's how loud his hits actually are, or if that's just the yeah. echo in the in the the barn of disappointment in Vancouver. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see what Luke Shen can add to this this playoff lineup. Um, and then obviously, hopefully, as you can see on our ticker there, that uh, Ryan O'Reilly left tonight's game with uh, with a hand injury, didn't play any time in the third. Um, let's hope that if it is a break, that it's you know maybe something that either one he can play play with uh or or that you know maybe he can get healed up pretty quickly otherwise we're talking about a, another Felino deal that uh that that goes awry for the Leafs heading into the playoffs but all around I think the Leafs did what they needed to do I think Dubas need, did what he needed to do and and I think the chemistry is going to come I I just give it time uh we've got 19 games left give it time and you'll mm-hmm. see you'll see this team really turn things around um but yeah just jump in about O'Reilly uh Per well, a lot of main of the beat reporters are saying that Keith says that O'Reilly will they will have a follow up on O'Reilly on Monday at practice. So definitely, probably going for X rays, MRIs, and then we'll probably have an answer then. But does not sound very encouraging. Yeah. So I mean, given that, I mean, you still have you still have a month before you're heading into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So. If you need to rest him now, if you need to sit him down and, and let him kind of bounce back, now's the time to do it. But um, yeah, I I don't know, I don't know, not 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 the news you wanted to have coming out of out of this. But um, aside from that, anything that uh, you kind of wanted to talk about before we close out this episode, Peter? 
Um, not necessarily. I do. I do want to share a great mm. Luke Shen story. Um, because I remember back when he was drafted, I was in high school, and I was really happy to see him play. Um, you know, the junior hockey at that level, winning gold with Team Canada, mm. was really excited when the Maple Leafs drafted him. I thought he was the player that they kind of needed. You know big heavy physical defenseman obviously i thought oh he's going to be the best defenseman ever but then again that's before you know understanding the game and everything like that as a young high schooler or whatever but about a year or two later obviously shen had a good rookie season but then he started to fall out because the maple Leafs. it kind of looked like they were trying to rush him and everything like that and obviously that's a bad mistake when you're developing a prospect and management player development was not great back then so I was in high school, finished exams, went to a mall, and I was walking around with my with my family because we were out there celebrating because it was my last one. And I see a guy at the food court. His head was down. He's wearing a hat. And I, from the look at his face, I saw, I'm like, oh, my God, that looks like Luke Shen. So me being this, like, you know, 15, 16-year-old kid, I'm like – I knew the season that he had, and he got a lot of criticism from the media and everything like that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go up to him, and I'm going to ask him. I, I go up to him. I'm like, hi, are you Luke Shen? And he, he looks up, and he's just like, yeah, I'm Luke Shen. And I'm like, listen, you had a fantastic season. I just wanted to wish you the best of luck and uh, really hope that you pull through and do great next season. And he had the biggest smile on his face because you could tell that he was probably dealing with a lot of that, like, you know, wasn't talked about it back then, but a lot of mental health aspects, no, the psychological aspects, yeah. the doubt and everything like that as a young player coming into this kind of franchise. And he literally just responded to me, appreciate it, man. Thanks. And I just let him be, let him go off. And obviously didn't quite work out. He was traded for James Van Riemsdyk. Van Riemsdyk worked out, but then Shen started to find his footing later on throughout his career. And I'm so glad that he's back. It came full circle because I was a big fan of Luke Shen then throughout his career and even right now. So I just wanted to share that little Luke Shen story about a high schooler, me not being all fan crazy or whatever about meeting an NHL or at a mall, but yeah, just, just a little fun story to just kind of brighten your day. And even so, like just one of the boost of spirits kind of thing. Cause he really needed it at that time. So what, what you're saying is you want to get Luke Shen on the podcast uh, now that <laughs> his career's come full circle and he's back in Toronto. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm glad you actually brought that up because mm -hmm. it, it's very much the same idea that I had when I wrote that piece about uh, Justin Hall being used in a Jake Gardner situation in Toronto. Yeah. The same thing, and and we talked about with, when we had Jay, Jay Rosehill on the show, uh, we, talk, we talked about the, like, the expectations that were placed on Luke Shen's shoulders when he was this you know 18-year-old kid drafted to yeah. the, the mecca of hockey in Toronto and he was suddenly the face of the franchise. He had that truculence that, you know, Brian Burke wanted, and he was placed in this tenacity, this, this, this role of, of, and these expectations that weren't realistic, right? Mm -hmm. Like Luke Shen was never going to be your number one defenseman. Yeah. He, he, and that's, that's why like over his career, you've seen him kind of find his way and find his place and, and understand what his role is in it. In, and what's, what's interesting about it is that when he came up, it was a league that, needed tenacity needed truculence needed toughness now you're in a in a league where it's about skill and speed and somehow 
a guy who has most certainly lost a step still is excelling in the role that he's placed in. He's and he's a five, six, he's a five, six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a five, six. He's your stay at home. He's your Jake Muzzin type of defenseman. And he has a booming shot still from the point. I don't know if you saw it tonight in Vancouver. Oh yeah. Um, hell of a shot. And then just, I mean, to see him come back and to see him get that opportunity to, to wear the leaf again and, and, you know, have his career come full circle. Those are the stories that Adam's talking about when he talks about, you know, covering, covering the game and covering the people and cheering for people rather than teams. And you, you really do get to that point because I think, you know, even, even had Luke Shen not come back to to Toronto to, to close out his career, you know, as a two-time Stanley cup champion with the Tampa Bay lightning. I mean, that's, that's a hell of a story mm-hmm. um, seeing how it's all started out. So and I also um, like Dewis's uh, comment about Shen, how there was a possibility of him coming back when he won the Cups of Tampa, but they didn't have that depth role available. And then now all of a sudden we have it, although I probably would have made room for him in order to bring him in anyways, because his heart was set on coming to Toronto. I can't remember where I saw that, but I did see that online where they did want to bring him in. They just couldn't make it work at that time. But now it worked and finally things fell into place. Yeah, no, it's it's it was such a great story, and I'm I, like I said, I'm glad you brought that up to kind of close out the show. Um, as always, uh, it's been it's been a hell of a week, a hell of a show, and mm-hmm. and everybody out there, you know, in Ontario that's getting hit with <laughs> wallop with the snow, stay, stay safe. safe. Exactly. Bend your knees. Bend your knees when you're shoveling if you don't have a <laughs> snowblower. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, before we close it out, I know Josh, uh, longtime listener, has been tuning in yes. all all episode, so. Shout out to Josh. Great, uh, great guest. So thank you again to Adam for coming on. Uh, Adam Proto from the Hockey News. Uh, Keep up the hard work and go Leafs go. Uh, Yeah, tough one tonight, Josh, but uh, we'll definitely, definitely like to see the Leafs bounce back when it's all said and done. Um, As always, for me, Andrew Forbes, um, you can follow me on on Twitter at Andrew G. Forbes. You can follow Peter at P. Barrichini. You can follow Alex, who wasn't here tonight, at A. Hobson Media. Or you can follow the show at Sticks in the Six. You'll see our, if you're watching on YouTube, hit subscribe. You can also see us uh, down at the bottom there, Sticks in the Six, S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, hit subscribe on YouTube. Make sure you check out all of our socials. Or you can tune in tomorrow when we when we uh, get this episode up on all the streaming networks as well. Um, Otherwise, shout out to Adam Proto for joining us tonight. Uh, shout out to the Indie Ale House for continuing to sponsor this wonderful show. And uh, shout out to the Variety Sports Network for giving us the opportunity to be part of this wonderful, wonderful podcast network. Mm-hmm. Until next week, episode 116 of Sticks in the Six. Have a good night, folks. Mm-hmm.